That's perfect. Yep. Hey, Sam Telemans. Did I say that right? That's right. You did. <laughs> Welcome to my show. So just um, to give you a little background, listeners, Sam and I have never met before. We're going to get to know each other alongside you getting to know us. So Sam, welcome. I wanted to have you on my show because um, your area of expertise, which is counseling people in addiction around pornography, as I understand it, is such an important issue, I think, to discuss. And my podcast is all about um, people taking steps to live a healthy and harmonious life. So I just thought when I heard about you and what you're doing through a mutual friend of ours, I was like, cool, I want you to get your message out there. So that's why I invited you on my show. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. Yeah, cool. So you've been doing this for 10 years, and I have a couple questions for you around this topic, but, you know, feel free to share with us whatever you want that you think might help people throughout this conversation. But I thought maybe we'd start, I was curious, you know, if considering you are an expert in this topic, like, do you think pornography has always been around or is this like a new thing? So, yeah, I mean, no, I think pornography has been around since the dawn of time. You know, there's like, you know, paintings on caves and different, you know, there has been a long for, uh, around for a long, long time. I think what's different now is the fact that it's so accessible. It is, there is so much content that somebody can consume at the click of a button. And it's, our brains are not meant to process the degree to which like content is available. Mm -hmm. And it's so extreme. A lot of it is violent. So there's lots of, yeah, there's, while it's been around forever, the medium of video and, you know, instant, you find anything on the, on the, on the internet that you want to, that's, what's been different. And that's a big part of what helps just kind of reshape what people think about sex, what they think is normal, what they think is acceptable. And it just changes our perception just because of how much we're exposed to it. Mm -hmm. So would you say then that there is a place or, that there is some validity to some forms of pornography? So there's a couple of different camps, you know, some one camp will say that it's educational. It's something that consenting adults can participate in together. Uh, they say that it might strengthen or enhance their sexual relationship. So that's kind of one camp. The other camp says that it, it's, it does the opposite. It's destructive. It changes our perceptions. It objectifies women. It degrades women. Uh, there's no place for it in a relationship, and so it just depends on what camp you're in. I'm I'm of an, I'm of the mindset that it it doesn't enhance relationships. It doesn't uh, the ways in which some people might say it enhances. You can get that education in other forms that don't have such negative consequences, and so I'm of the camp that it 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 harms relationships and it harms people. Mm -hmm. so, no matter no matter what kind, even if it was like you know, good old, whatever, you, how would we just say this, like clean porn when it used to be like, like I remember, I, I'm thinking back, you know, when I was a kid, I remember finding my grandpa's like penthouse <laughs> magazines or Playboy magazines up in like some cupboard, yes. some corner of like the, the bathroom that nobody was supposed to use in his workshop. <laughs> and, um, you know, if I think back to those images, like they were just beautiful naked women, you know? Sure. Um, yes. 
And yeah, I think, you know, so much has, has changed, but in general, you would say that even those kinds of images, which might evoke some feelings of sexuality or help men or maybe women to, um, come in contact with their sexual nature, that there's other ways to do that. Yes. And so as a therapist, my, I, I don't impose my agenda upon anybody. So if somebody comes in to see me and they say, Hey, we, we view pornography together. I don't say, well, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Do you know X, Y, Z is a result of that? It, it's if they come in and say, this is what we do. I say, okay, cool. How, what kind of help do you need? And they'd be wanting to talk about communication or something completely separate. So I never impose my agenda on anybody. I think for most people that I do work with, the, the wife or the, the partner feels betrayed by it. And so she feels a sense of inadequacy that he's taking his attention and, and putting it onto somebody else or something else, even though it's not an actual person that he's interacting with. But his attention, that connection, that part of the relationship for so many women is... Uh, and men both, right? It's like in their mind, it should be shared just between them in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think the majority of the women who find out their husbands or partners are using or watching pornography, they feel a sense of betrayal. Mm-hmm. So those are oftentimes the people that come into counseling because they need some support to be able to navigate this. And how do they rebuild trust? How do they repair their sexual relationship? Because if she thinks she's not enough anymore because of what he's looking at, then there's a whole another dynamic that needs to be addressed as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think a lot of the people that I work with, it, it, it doesn't fit to their relationships, but for the people that it does, again, there's like, I'm there, there's no, uh, pressure or pushing for me to, to take it out. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me more about, um, some of the other ways that you see pornography use or addiction impact relationships in a negative way, apart from feeling betrayal? Is there, are there other things that, that can happen or Yeah. So I think a lot of times when people are, uh, so if, um, so it happens both ways, but just for simplicity's sake, I'll say men, there are women, of course, who watch pornography and, and uh, are in, are uh, in their, in their husband, their husbands feel betrayed. Right. But just the majority is men. And so a lot of times for men, it's a way. So the reason why people become addicted to this is oftentimes because it's fueled by a need to escape or to numb out how they feel. It's just another way to cope with pain. So for instance, a, a very common substance that people turn to is alcohol, right? So people, it's, it's, you can misuse alcohol. You can, you can drink too much. You can do it in, you can do it for the purpose of trying to escape your reality. And the more you do that, the more this, you know, other reality that you've created one of, I don't have to think about my problems. I don't think about money stress. I don't think about the fight with my wife when I'm drinking. They keep going back to that place. And then when they come back to the reality of their problems, it feels bad. So they go back to drinking and they come back to reality. And like that just creates this dependency. If you continue to, to do it, repetition will create this, right? And so I think the same thing is true with uh, pornography. So often men just use this as an escape. Mm-hmm. It's not really a, a result of a high sex drive. It's not a result of all oh, their wife isn't being intimate or sexual enough with them. So they need to turn to something else. It's, it's, it's simply a way to escape how bad they might feel or the stress or the overwhelm or the boredom. And so that can be another consequence is instead of learning how to connect with his wife, instead of learning how to let her in and share emotionally and connect and, and develop a stronger relationship, he just uses this as, as a crutch to escape how he feels instead of processing it through it with her. 
they're mm-hmm. building that connection uh, between themselves. Oh my God, you're totally talking my language now because um, yeah, most of the work that I do is on and around deep healing. Like, and I think everybody mm-hmm. has um, pain. Some people have more than others. Some people have, you know, deeper trauma or more acute trauma. But what I see in my line of work, which is, you know, in, in the healing arts is that all of us find it very difficult to confront or acknowledge or get close to our pain. And I love what you're saying in this acknowledging that pornography addiction is just one of those other ways that we distract ourselves from facing what we need to face. And some people use shopping and some people use work and some people use alcohol and use drugs. And I mean, some people use adventure sports, some people, I mean, it, you know, I think addiction can take any form and is, is destructive or detrimental to the situation when it is clearly a distraction or an escape from the reality of what we're feeling, which is often pain, disconnection, or, you know, whatever other kind of yeah, discomfort or, or is going on in our lives. I love that point. So I think that's, um, that's awesome. So, so what, what do you, how do you get people to start to deal with their addiction or what kind of, what, what do you propose to people who come to you? How do you work? What's your secret sauce? Yeah. So, (laughs) so yeah, I'm happy to share. So usually it takes a long time, right? Everybody that I've worked with have been, has been struggling with this for years and they try to stop on their own, but then it gets to the point where they say, there's no, I've tried so many times, it's not working. I need another layer of support. And so when people come in, my whole goal is to identify, I liked how you put it, right? It's a distraction, right? We all have so many different ways that we distract. And some of those are less harmful than others, but ultimately in, uh, what I, what I hope for the clients that I work for is to truly be able to heal and grow and become empowered and move forward and develop as a person. And so while somebody might say, well, it's not that big of a deal, or I just scroll Facebook and it's not that big of a deal. It's not hurting anybody else. Or I just look at pornography. It's not hurting my wife because I'm not actually cheating on her or whatever they might say. It gets to the point where they say, this isn't good for me. I, I keep finding myself. I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my potential. I feel bad about what I'm doing. A lot of times people feel guilt. And so I want to understand first, what is the emotional like, what is it that they're feeling? What's their current reality that they're trying to get away from? And if we can identify the core of why they're trying to escape, then we can start to solve some of those problems. And the more you do, and the more you heal, like you said, your work is geared towards helping people heal. The more people heal, this stuff can much more naturally just fall out of their lives because their focus changes. Instead of having to focus again, I'm like, I'm not a big fan of the 12 step approach because they, they make addiction about who you are and you have to identify yourself and, and every meeting you introduce yourself as I am. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. That just anchors you to the problem for the rest of your life when most people are trying to get away from it and become new people and truly be able to heal. I think it all starts with understanding what is at the core of what's driving you to escape. What are you getting away from? What tools do you need to cope more effectively and help people move down that path. That's what leads to healing and truly being able to be free from this or any other addiction. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you tell. I mean, I think we're probably again like we don't know each other. We're just meet first conversation today. But from your approach at Sam, or what you're saying about your approach, it does sound like. I mean, that's what I've found too over the years. I've been doing what I do for for over twenty years, and as much as you know, we might try to change our behavior or you know, like impose some will on ourselves. Like, I don't want to do this thing anymore. I don't want to keep hurting myself in this way. Mm-hmm. I find too, that, that people get free when they're willing just to acknowledge what's going on. And, and from there, almost like a natural spring of, of healing wells up through us when we're willing to have the courage to face the pain, the shame, the guilt, uh, you know, the anger, the sadness, you know, whatever it is that we're, that we've, you know, piled on whatever behavior on top of. Um, so I, I have to share with you, we're nice. very lucky where we live because um, I mean, I feel very lucky to have come in contact. We ha- had, she doesn't work anymore in our district, but she was a sex health educator when we first came here and that's how I heard of her. And, and then eventually the school district kind of shoved her out because she was so honest basically (laughs) about what was going on with kids and, and in certain, you know, family situations. And she wouldn't sugarcoat the fact that like kids were deep in pornography and um, you know, all the other things that I think all of us are like, no, it couldn't be that bad. You know, um, that's not true that that all this child trafficking mm-hmm. goes on and that these I don't know what the percentage is you might know however much of the pornography industry is wrought with you know coercion and slave sex slaves yes. and all of that all that whole side anyway she was very open and honest and and educated so many of us who had open ears and it was through her that I learned I had my children were quite young at the time. I think my son was probably like six or seven and she was just saying to everybody that she met and everybody that would listen, you know, like talk to your kids right away. Like don't wait until they're 15 or, you know, 20, like tell them that Uh it it exists. And especially if they're going to have a smartphone or a iPad at the time, it was like iPods. I think the kids were having, but um, (laughs) just talk to them about what is porn and their choices and, and, so gratefully, I did do that with my children. And I feel like, yeah, we, I don't know if we dodged a bullet, but um, I, maybe do you have any words of wisdom for parents or younger people before they're in this situation, you know, before they get caught in it? Do you see any kind of preventative measures, either young parents or, or adolescents might hear to help them avoid, you know, getting caught in addiction? Yes, that's a great question. I think there are a lot of things that parents can do and doing what you just mentioned, right? Having conversations with your kids is so important because I remember hearing somebody say it's, it's not a matter of if kids will be exposed to pornography, it's when, and you think about kids have smartphones and they're riding together on the bus or at the playground, like very, very young kids have access to the internet. And as a result of that, literally anything that they can think of, they can search and find. And if they're looking up things that are not developmentally appropriate for them, it's going to, oh, it's just, it's shocking to kids what they can see. They're not ready for that. And so parents absolutely can have such an influence in terms of helping prepare their kids by 
having conversations about what's out there. Not that you have to go into the details of it all, but helping them understand what pornography is. There's such a good resource that I always recommend to parents. It's, it's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. It's like, I don't know, a 25 page book, but it, it so perfectly captures how to have conversations with kids at a kid at an age level appropriate, at, at an age appropriate level. Because parents think, well, I don't know what to say. This is embarrassing. I don't want to talk about this with my kid. I don't know what the, but if you use that book as a guide, it will walk you through and it models for you how to have those talks with them, what to say. And by doing that, it, it helps to foster an environment where if something does come up, they know they can go to mom and dad because they're the ones who initiate it. The kids are not going to initiate this talk, right? It's so important that parents know that the kids will not initiate this. You have to create the safety for them and the level of comfort for them. And you can do that by initiating conversations and just starting to talk again. A lot of what the book says just helps you to do that. And then by doing so, kids are going to feel much more comfortable coming to you and, and talking through what might be happening at school or other way or in other places. But I think conversation is such an important thing and, and helping kids know that there's a time and a place for, for sexual activity and what is and is not appropriate. And of course, everybody has their own value system, but educating and teaching your kids about how you see this and what your values are. Because if you don't, somebody else will and mm -hmm. likely won't be in alignment with what you want. Mm -hmm. So I think you leading that as a parent is crucial. Yeah, I'm just going to reiterate what you said, um, because I think it is so important. And I think, yeah, we're we're undoing, like, I think in our generation, we're unraveling a lot of the conditioning that we all got, which was basically like, don't talk about this stuff, right? Like, right, whatever is down, right. down there, you just don't talk about. And, you know, I, yes. I will go get into explicitly what, you know, m my parents are lovely, and I think they did their best, but their parents never talked about sex or sexuality or right consent or any pleasure, any, you know, anything around this topic. So I think we're still, even though, you know, I think we're progressively becoming more comfortable with talking about these things. I think there's still a lot of people that are carrying on that legacy of their parents, where it's just uncomfortable. It's a bit of a taboo subject. And so I think all parents really need to hear that we don't have the luxury of being quiet or shy about this anymore because we really it is up to us to protect our children in a world where it's not just our influence like as soon as they have a phone or device their whole world opens up and really anybody can access them and infiltrate their feed or their scroll and they are going to come across stuff that you don't want them to and if you don't talk to them about it they are going to learn from those sources which often are there to catch them into this I don't know what is it a multi-billion million I don't know dollar industry yes, billion uh-huh yeah. And, and though the people who are selling this stuff want your children to participate. So if you don't arm them with some education that, that this is going to happen and how to handle it, they won't have the tools. And so, you know, I just do urge parents to have those conversations, first of all, to educate yourself. I'm sure there's tons of tools. I'll link some of the things that you share with me, Sam, today in, in our little write up around this podcast, but I'm sure that, that everybody could Google and search if they wanted to, to educate themselves how to start to talk to their kids about sex education and porn and whatever other 
you know, angle they want to take on it. And I will definitely connect you with my sex educator friend, Carrie Isham, because she also has some really great books. One that's called Puberty Coming to a Body Near You for Adolescents. It's just awesome. It's just like mm-hmm. a, an awesome yeah, super simple picture book that's like, you know, it just has like drawings of all the different kinds of boobs and different kinds of penises and, you know, and and just lets kids kind of see like, yeah, this is part of your physical body and you need terms to talk yes. about it. And and then I think, uh-huh. you know, it, it if you can find a book that you resonate with, that that can often be the channel to start those kind of uncomfortable, difficult conversations. And I'll just reaffirm what you said to me and that me starting those conversations. Now my kids are 13 and 15 and both of them over the years, as I said, we probably started having these conversations, you know, like, I don't know, from the very beginning, I would say, but now they will come to me and, um, and ask for what they need information Mm -hmm. and, you know, clarification and yeah, those channels are open because we started those conversations very early, I think. And I, I think it's very important that um, parents take that initiative. So I have another question that we don't have to get into, but it, it, um, it, it is something, you know, when I heard your area of expertise, I was like, I wonder if this guy can provide any insight. Maybe it has not, maybe this is not your area of expertise, but why do yeah. you think, or how do you think, or what the heck is actually going on with this industry? Like when we think about, especially, you know, talk about in context with everything that's happening with COVID and, you know, government being able to take such overarching regulatory policy changes and whatnot. Like we've, we're watching it happen. We're watching government get on board to this problem that's come up and act and, you know, change policies so that we can all stay healthy around this new virus. It makes me wonder like what the heck are regulatory bodies or governing agencies waiting for to help regulate this crazy growing industry? Do you have any like thoughts around that? You know, that's a really good question. And I think so recently I'm on a newsletter. I contribute monthly to an organization and um, through her efforts, she was able to get Pornhub to take off, I think, 77% of all their content because of how much non-consensual child violence, rape content there was. And so I think people are starting to, and I don't know why it's taken this so long. It's insane. Like this, the kind of, the kind of things that happen that are videoed and, and broadcast, right. Without consent of the people who are in it, it's insane what's happening. So I was, when I saw that, I was like, that's such a huge win. 70% of the content, 77% of the content comes down. And so I think, and I'm hoping the government is catching on with this more and more because it needs to be more. Again, it has to be more regulated because if there are videos of non-consensual acts, that's a federal crime. And so why people are not going punished and why this is not something that's of utmost importance. Again, that's that's something that I, I, I will never understand. I yeah. have no idea why it's not you know more looked at. Mm-hmm. I know it is a bit hard to fathom, even you know when um, Jeffrey Epstein got arrested and then Gillen... Maxwell and that whole thing went down. I don't know. That was mm-hmm. summer, summer sometime, I think. 
I was like, oh, cool. Maybe this will come to the forefront now, you know, that all this is going right. on. And then they had like a Netflix documentary, right? I can't remember what it was called around Jeffrey Epstein, F- filthy. I don't know what I don't know <laughs> what it was called, but <laughs> I was thinking like, oh, good. People will finally start to care about all of this sex, trade, trafficking, slave, children, obsessed, pedophile, normalized stuff that's going on that that is so clear if you look right like I remember my my best friend's um brother is a police officer and like years ago he he started to work on a special forces kind of operative to deal with child pornography and at the time that was all new to me I was like oh really is this like a growing issue so it's been like years where where we've been starting to to see the depth and extent to this industry that I think, yeah, I wonder, I mean, just even us talking about it, the point of me bringing it up is just for people to kind of recognize, I think, and question, like, why don't we care? Because it is a massive, massive, I don't know if you have numbers to support this, but like, I don't know how many kids get trafficked every year or you know, it's just insane. So I hope us talking about it just sheds like a little bit more light on that and well, yeah, and I think a part of the reason why is because, like, if you know Tim Ballard, he's the mm-hmm. founder of Operation Underground Railroad. He's yeah. doing such an amazing job, and he's yeah. like, people aren't talking about this. It's so difficult to talk about this subject. We want to just think and believe it doesn't happen. Yeah. So if we don't talk about it, if we don't look at it, then it's okay. It's just that's somebody else's problem. Yeah, that happens, I'm sure, somewhere uh, to some people, but it's happening. Like the U.S., I think, is one of the 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 number one. Uh, countries with related with relation to trafficking there's so much of it that happens here but we just think like oh no that's somebody else that's not us Mm -hmm. and we don't often i think think about what it actually means for a child in that situation because it's just like how do how can you consider that right Mm -hmm. it's so overwhelming it's so dark Mm -hmm. and so you have these people who are shining a light on this and it is getting more traction, which is important because they can't do it by themselves, you know, a tiny organization, but they're doing such an amazing job. But the more that catches on, the more people are starting to pay attention to it. They can actually do something to stop it and fix this problem as much as it, you know, it can be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. I, I think that's why I, I just jumped at the the chance when I heard um, what the kind of work you were doing. You know, we, we met because we were, were taking our businesses online, right? Because of COVID probably. So yep. we're looking mm-hmm. all this online uh-huh. business stuff. And I just thought like, I don't really know much about your business or your, your area of expertise, but in my heart, I know that this is a major problem that that people do have a hard time talking about so that is why I invited you on my show and I'm really glad that we're talking about it so maybe just to um, wrap up our conversation do you have any tips like I know people can I'll link your your information if they actually want to reach out and get counseling but if people aren't quite there they don't know who to reach out to and they're just thinking they hear this and think like yeah you know I I have a a problem I can see with, you know, my porn addiction, where would you say that people can start to take first steps if they're just like, how would I get myself out of this hole that I dug myself into? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the first step is starting to get education and information because a lot of the people that I work with, they're so desperate to stop, but they don't know how. So the one thing that I try to do is help them understand why the problem exists in the first place. 
helping them get the tools that they need to solve those underlying issues, the core reasons why they're turning to it, and then develop the skills and the tools necessary to move forward and not just be addiction free, but to fully thrive and be a f- like fulfilled and a happy individual and to live their purpose out. Addiction for so many people just robs them of their purpose and their fulfillment in life. And so I think step number one is get education, right? There's things that you can look up. There's different podcasts. There's different. So I started a podcast two months ago and it's so fun to do, right? Doing these interviews with people uh, as you're having me on right here. And I think be able to get the information that you need to better understand what addiction is about. It's not a character defect. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not a broken individual. It just simply means that you've been caught up in these patterns and habits because there are tools and pieces that are, are not there that need to be. So we touched a little bit on that earlier today, as far as resolving some of those core pieces, but I think, yeah, education is the first step because it gives hope. Like lots of people have gone through addiction and have come out on the other side, healed and whole. Mm-hmm. So knowing that that's possible just gives hope to people that this is not a life sentence. I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, it makes me think of I have a terrible memory, but Guy Lafleur, some, I don't know, some hockey player, I was just listening to a, 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 an interview with him and he was talking about how he had been abused by one of his hockey coaches and then eventually it led to um, his own drug addiction and eventually that actually led to him being mm-hmm. kicked out of the um, NHL, it's terrible around sports, National Hockey League. And um, he was clarifying, I mean, he's come full circle, like you talk about, right? He's come full circle. And he wanted to share with other people who have been hurt, abused, or fallen into addiction for other reasons, mental health, or, you know, there's so many reasons people fall into addiction, is that and he was talking about how he hates the word addiction because it 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 implies or has all this connotation that the the addict is the one who's like screwed up right like you're an addict because you right. made all these bad choices and now like even the way I stated it like dug themselves into a hole maybe that's another piece where we all kind of shift our thinking around when we find ourselves in addiction that as you say the first step is just maybe or the first few steps get get some education and know second or included you're not alone. Like you are not the first person to fall into addiction mm-hmm. and that it probably isn't your fault. And to start to have some compassion for yourself around your own pain or your own patterns and, and recognize that there is support there. There are other people who have gone through what you're going through. And if you can start to, I don't know, maybe it's also like find some forgiveness for yourself that you're in this situation and just start to take, um, you know, little steps. It reminds me, you know, when you were talking about um, first steps and feeling alone or feeling ashamed, or I don't know what you said, it made me think of too. I had a, a friend when I was growing up that had a eating disorder. And for so many years, I wanted her to get help, you know, like I could see it was from she had a major trauma when she was 12 or 12 or so. And I could see that that was the trigger for her falling into this, you know, destructive behavior. It wasn't because she was stupid. She's brilliant. It wasn't because she was, you know, she, she's an amazing person, but, um, I feel like, you know, she couldn't really talk to anybody about it because she felt so much shame around 
yeah, what had gotten her in the first place. And then, you know, these, these behaviors that she started to engage in. And then I think, you know, her healing journey started, like you said, right when she, you know, she found some books and she started doing her own reading. And then she realized like, oh my God, there's like a whole body of knowledge around this topic of eating disorders. But I think, Uh you know, when we're caught in it, we feel like we're the only one doing it or we're the only one that's suffering. So I think that's really uh, some important reminders that you're saying. Thank you. No, I think it's important that people know that there's hope because in the, in the depths of it, you think there, there is no hope, yeah. especially people who have been struggling for literally years. Like I've worked with people who have been in their addiction for 40 plus years, just because they just didn't know where to get help. They tried on their own. They didn't know that the help that was actually available. They thought that this was just a, you know, their cross that they'd have to bear. But truly, this is not something that you have to identify with. Again, you touch on the word addict, right? You're like, nah, we shouldn't be calling people that. I agree with that 100%. I think identifying yourself as I'm an addict just puts this glass ceiling on you because of what that connotes for so many people. It's like, oh, an addict doesn't get better. An addict has triggers for the rest of his life. An addict has this, this, this. When in reality, that's, that's not true at all. As soon as you are able to resolve the reason why you've distracted yourself in the first place. Mm-hmm. then you're able to fill that with something much more empowering and find fulfillment in your life. This idea of addict is, you know, this is something that people get over and get through all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not easily, but yeah, with support and education. Yeah, It takes effort. Yes. Yeah. But people do it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're doing this work, Sam. It's really nice to chat with you. And um, if you do have any other uh, books or links or whatever, just send them my way and I'll include it in our little write-up. And I hope I can you know, do that. Yeah. Even if like one or two people end up listening to this podcast and, you know, feel inspired to take a step, the, the name of my podcast is the first step because I, I, think that a healing journey always begins with a first step, you know, so whether it's it's, great. Yeah. Whether it's porn addiction or, you know, drug addiction or shopping addiction or, you know, whatever else self-harm, you know, people have all kinds of ways to manage their pain, but if you can just take one first step, I think, you know, I hope we've inspired somebody to do that today and, and I'll, I'll put some links that maybe can think can guide them in the right direction. And just thank you for doing the work. I think it's so important. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Thank you for the invitation. I think you're doing an amazing work as well, just helping people know that healing is possible and life is so much more fulfilling as you're on this path of growth. Then there's no perfection. There's no need for perfection. That's not even the goal, but growth progress brings happiness. So yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm going to stop the recording there. Have a great day. May all beings be happy.